My name is Saul Wordsworth, and this is the IBT Podcast. Hello, I'm Saul Wordsworth, Deputy Editor of IVT International, the world's leading publication for industrial and off-road vehicles in construction, agriculture and mining. Welcome to this episode of the IVT Podcast. Our interview today is with Rob Oliver, CEO of the UK's Construction Equipment Association. In our interview, Rob talks about the effects of both COVID and Brexit on the construction equipment landscape in the UK and Europe, as well as matters concerning sustainability and future fuels. But first... It's time to speak with IVT editor Tom Stone, live from his opulent country estate on England's south coast. I don't know what... Oh, dear. You just spill something. No, that was just a spoon. Just a spoon. I spilt a spoon on it. <laughs> a liquid spoon. I was, this is the time of year when uh, the traditional sport is watching the weather forecast pre-Glastonbury. Mm. Uh, this is, you know, and it's, uh, it's, it's... You know, they have a year off every now and then, but this is the first time... I can remember them having two years off. Aren't they doing a, didn't they do a virtual, a Vlastonbury, if you will? Yeah, a few weeks ago. I, you remember, the, yeah. they messed it up and just yeah, it, that's right. it ruined my party. You ruined your set. Weren't you playing a set? Yeah, that ruined everything, really. Well, tell me again about your boy band that you were in, the fake boy band. <laughs> underpants, were they called underpants? No, they were called Boy Scout. Boy Scout, that's right. Dib Dib. Yeah, Boy Scout, that's right. Dib Dib Dib. <laughs> uh, and they're with their Boy... No, actually, it was Boy Scouts with a Z. Oh, was it? Wow. Okay. That was a Z because it was cool, right? Yeah. To have a Z. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, yeah, and we had a, a, a single uh, scouting for boys, that's called. Yeah, that's, that's an unfortunate title as, as we know as you know it was it wasn't a real band it was a spoof band i i just do know case, that just in case you put this in the pod i was i was thinking of perhaps putting it in the that's, pod. Right. that's the only reason you said tell me again tell me every time we do a podcast about it no, that's not gone in any of the other podcasts though has it no but it will from here on in i believe that we have an exciting webinar on the horizon next next wednesday oh we do don't we yeah this is yeah. a good opportunity to, to tell everyone about this if they if they've not heard already yeah. we have a webinar um with some experts from volvo talking about um hydrogen hydrogen electric power yeah uh, now um they're they've been uh, playing their cards pretty close to their chests haven't they over at, uh, over at uh, volvo but uh, recently, there's been 
bit of news along these lines, hasn't there? Yes, there has. What they what were they doing? They were um, uh, uh, they had their own. They've got a new research centre, haven't they? That's what they announced. That yes, into hydrogen power. Um, yeah, um, amongst other things, I think. But certainly, they've got uh, this new centre, which is you know Volvo Construction Equipment taking in their in their words a major step towards uh, a carbon neutral future. Absolutely. It's still sort of another, you know, it's hydrogen fuel cells we're talking about here, of course, not hydrogen yeah. combustion. No. But was it, was it Volvo who pledged to be carbon neutral by 2040, I think? Yes. I mean, they've, got, they've got some pretty ambitious targets for sure. I can't remember exactly the year. But yeah, uh, yeah anyway, we will be talking to Thomas Bitter, head of technology at Volvo yeah. Construction Equipment, and also... Carolina diaz Terra, who is head of advanced engineering programs at Volvo CE. And um, yeah, that's, that, that's going to be, uh, I'm really looking forward to that, actually. That's going to be a live webinar. There'll be an opportunity for people to ask questions at the end. Um, should be a really, uh, really interesting chat. So yeah. hopefully uh, our podcast listeners will also become our webinar viewers. I'm sure they will. And of course, it's a free event. I mean, they're welcome to pay me, but it is ostensibly free. <laughs> I'll include my bank details at the uh, in the notes for the podcast. But, Good uh, idea. That may you may be compromising your identity there, but that doesn't yeah. matter if you get no. paid, right? Exactly. Swings yeah. and roundabouts. Um, well, that doesn't literally bring us on to our um, podcast interview for today, but it does in a roundabout fashion because I uh, a week or so ago I interviewed Rob Oliver, who is CEO of CEA which is the Construction Equipment Association for the UK. Uh, now, Rob, is he's been CEO for, for a number of years now, and he's a very interesting, engaging, and, and amusing interviewee. Um, the subjects that we cover include the construction equipment landscape post-Brexit and post-pandemic, how uh, construction is addressing sustainability, and uh, what is the latest in future fuels? So we do talk a little bit about um, uh, electrification and also uh, hydrogen. So wow. there, is, there is a tie in there. There's some good crossover there, isn't there? I think there's yeah, always yeah. You know, views from across the industry are always uh, interesting to compare and contrast. So uh, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Excellent. Well, let us step aside collectively as a duo and listen to my interview with Rob. Let's do it. Thanks a lot, Tom. Thanks, all. Now it's time for our feature interview. So relax, sit back and settle into my conversation with Rob Oliver, CEO of the CEA. Yeah, I can't see you at the moment. It's, it's not okay. essential. Um, but I comb my hair especially. I think you may have to imagine me, I'm afraid. Oh. Don't know what's gone wrong oh. there. You, would you describe yourself then, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> imagine it's blind date. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I'm tall, young, pretty handsome. And, oh, yeah, um, okay, right. And love travelling and meeting new people. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me, Rob, so you're CEO of um, Construction Equipment or the Construction Equipment Association for the UK. Is that yeah, right? yeah, that's right. So, yeah, it's, it's the Construction Equipment Association. We've got about 150 members, so 
a lot of the major manufacturers and importers, um, component suppliers, uh, accessory and attachment people, uh, and some service providers. So uh, well, I've been doing that job now for, for coming up 20 years. Um, so it's, uh, uh, it, it's been an interesting period. I think no, no more so than, than today with so many different technological uh, advances happening and, and uh, the uh, sustainability and other agendas going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in terms of um, today, how would you characterise the construction equipment landscape industry uh, from two perspectives? First of all is post-pandemic, if we can, we're not quite post-pandemic, but hopefully we've, uh, we've passed the, uh, the apex. But also um, afterwards, maybe we could address uh, the landscape post-Brexit. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been quite interesting because it, in a way the construction sector has been a lot luckier than some other sectors. You know, noticeably uh, hospitality and leisure because the at least the construction sites were able to keep working in the main last year. Yeah. Um, but like all sectors, round about last spring, March, April, our market really fell off a cliff because there was uh, a close down of factories, there was a close down of construction sites until they started going again so almost overnight we lost about 70 percent of the market but what's really encouraging this year is that i was looking at the the market figures for the uk for the first four months that's yet to um, the end of april this year mm -hmm. and if you can compare not to last year because that's an exceptional year but to 2019 what you see is something like a, a three or four percent increase over the 2019 figure so that tells me that the market is it's pretty buoyant at the moment. So we're coming out very strongly from the, the, the worst effects of the pandemic. Um, but I guess as a lot of your, um, your listeners will know, it's put a lot of pressure on, on supply, not specifically for construction equipment, but for construction materials um, yeah. on the construction site. So that's one of the things that we're just keeping an eye on. Last year, there were a lot of interruptions in supply chains, but you've, you've, even, you've even had that more recently with the problem with the Suez Canal. I think there were a lot of semiconductors and other supplies that were held up there with that, uh, that blockage. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think probably coming out of the pandemic, a lot of companies will be looking at the, the robustness of their supply chains um, uh, to ensure that if we do hit similar problems uh, in the future, um, that there's a way of overcoming some of the the issues that we've had this time around. Right. Um, obviously, I know that you have a UK focus, but it's my understanding uh, that the, the, the newfound buoyancy of the construction industry is mirrored in Europe. Yep, yeah, yeah, the figures uh, are showing strong recovery in, uh, in, in most of the markets. There. Um, we, uh, we're, we're a very active member of the, the Committee for European Construction Equipment, which is the umbrella organisation for manufacturers across Europe. Is that, that CC? Yeah. That's, that's it. That's the one, CC. Yeah, so yeah. they're headquartered in, in Brussels, um, and I'm on the uh, executive committee of the organisation. And uh, uh, it, that also includes some uh, members who are not part of the EU, obviously including ourselves, but also Russia and, and Turkey. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and I guess when at the beginning of last year, um, we were very much thinking that the, the dominant topics that we were going to be dealing with as a trade association uh, would, be, would be Brexit, would be digitalization and also sustainability. And then, yep. of course, COVID came along and, and knocked one or two of those things off, off track. Um, 
but obviously Brexit happened, and yeah. uh, and certainly in the in the early months, um, as with a lot of industries, that there were there were a few teething problems, you know, import and export. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see that as a as a major problem at the moment. But looking longer term, I guess what we what we're wanting to find out from government um, is whether and our, our new newfound freedoms, if you like. Uh, will be exercised in terms of legislation that will affect our sector. And uh, uh, because you hear a lot about the uh, attempted free trade agreements and and the discussions on trade Mm -hmm. going on, but there's there's been actually very little discussion yet about uh, about the uh, regulatory framework. Um, They're starting to, to, to consult a little bit on that, but it's difficult to know going forward um, if there will be, radically divergent regulations that are going to affect my members uh, who are either manufacturing in the UK or selling into the UK. Um, yeah. While at the same time, we're still, we're still very much part of Europe in terms of our market because you're talking about uh, in excess of 40% of what we manufacture here going over to, to the EU. Uh, yeah. And in fact, you know, I think the last, uh, I was looking at the import-export figures and there's almost, almost a, a balance between what comes in and what goes out in terms of our trade with Europe uh, in the construction equipment sector. But I guess it's not just sale of equipment as such, it's also, and manufacture of equipment, it's also the number of contracts that get awarded, um, whether there will be an impact in this country as a result of Brexit. Yeah, I think... um, in terms of the, the, the contracts for UK market, I think obviously um, there was the uh, initiative from the government to escalate some of the decision making on, on contracts and, and projects. So I think they identified something in excess of 300 projects that they were going to fast track. Um, I think some of that's been done, but fast track can actually be um, slow track uh, when you, you define it by another measure. So we'll, we'll see how useful that is. Okay. Um, and what about if you look at your... Sorry, Rob. Yeah, sorry, carry on, Tor. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, what about, so in terms of investment in, you know, what about foreign investment for, um, you know, large-scale construction projects? There must be some of that, and some maybe some of that has taken a hit as a result of Brexit? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that's true. I think, uh, I think the UK market and what's happening in the UK um, is going to attract the funding because we have quite an ambitious infrastructure projects going, and and, and, and of course, it's, as you rightly say, it's not just about government money, it's about private investment as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd be reasonably um, optimistic about the, the level of investment. I guess overall, um, if you look at the government side of investment, what we hope is that the large uh, loan, uh, bills, which effectively government's running up by uh, printing new money effectively, um, not only in the UK, but in Europe, um, if, if they come under pressure with increased interest rates, um, which is, I think, the big debate at the moment uh, because of the pressures on, on inflation, which, which normally would, would be mirrored in an increase uh, in, in interest rates. Um, I think if, if government uh, finances come under pressure there, um, then what we hope is that there's not going to be a shuddering halt to, to investment plans which in turn will affect private investment plans as well. You know, it's a partnership situation, really. That makes good sense. Um, Tell me about the construction 
equipment industry and sustainability in this country. I heard some uh, an astonishing pronouncement on Radio 4, I think it was yesterday, about how the acceleration of the integration of electric vehicles in the next few years, and it's all down to the fact that battery technology prices are, uh, are uh, falling at a, at a rate of knots. And obviously we cover a lot of electric vehicles in our, in our pages. I wondered what it was like on the ground. Mm. Yeah, uh, it, interestingly, again, if you looked at um, last year's figures, um, the amount of uh, electric-powered plants in, in the areas that, that we cover, so we're talking about the main lines of construction equipment, um, it, it's still just a small speck, really, in terms of the overall picture. Um, there's, there's, uh, it's a fraction of 1% in, in what's being measured at the moment in terms of sales. Yeah. But, but having said that, there's obviously an explosion of investment in R&D, not just in electric, but in hydrogen, in um, uh, drop-in fuels, biofuels, synthetic fuels. So there's quite a, a range there of options that are being worked through. Mm -hmm. And I suppose the big question is, and, and a lot of us, you know, we won't really have an answer to this for a while, is, is where the tipping point occurs. Because if you look at, uh, if you look at the car industry, mm -hmm. um, they're obviously on the route to, to uh, electric and at a certain point there'll be a, there'll be a tipping point encouraged by government because they've got their deadlines in there yeah. where majority of people will be buying electric cars now i think certainly some uh, people in government agencies and other sort of observers have assumed that construction equipment is like uh, it's like motor vehicles therefore um, the route is just going to be uh, electric 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 mm -hmm. and uh, um and it's not that simple because obviously in terms of a construction site, there's much higher power ranges and, and power required from machines than there is um, driving your, your normal saloon car up and down the road. Yeah. Um, so there's been some interesting work done by the, by the Committee for European Construction Equipment where they've, they've looked at the sort of uh, future landscape for decarbonisation in construction equipment. Mm -hmm. And... And what they've come up with, they, they, have, they have what they call a four pillars approach. Um, so the four pillars are, if I remember these correctly, there's, there's the machine efficiency. So it's getting the right mix of components in the machine to make it as productive as possible, regardless of power source. There's the operation efficiency, um, in particular now in terms of the operator skills required for, for operating the newer machines, which... Uh, becoming increasingly more intelligent machines rather than uh, just purely mechanical um, units. Mm -hmm. um, there's about the process efficiency on site. Are you using the right machines for the right jobs and, and securing the, the optimal workflow? Um, because that's important. And also as part of that, then there's a digitalization um, agenda, which is are the machines talking to each other to, to enable you to do that? And then those are three, but and then the fourth one then is the alternative energy sources. So, yes. So, so it's not all about um, electrification or, or or alternative fuels. Um, I think in terms of the modern construction site, you've got a mix of those four um, four um, areas. Um, so, and I think in terms of our dealings with with government talks with others, we we have to stress that point because um, uh, if if anyone's looking for a that's sort of the silver bullet that will make us suddenly um, 
decarbonized then yeah. nothing's going to happen it's, it's a longer journey and and, yeah. and there's going to be a role for diesel powered machines for quite a while particularly the, the top end of the market larger machines yeah, um, yeah. but but their but their um, environment environmental impact in any case has dropped considerably over the last 15 years because of the again actually down to european legislation with the different stages of engines that have been uh, prescribed so we've We've, you know, we've taken um, probably about uh, over 90% of hydrocarbons out of pollutants from, from machines over that period. And, and I don't think we often get credit for that as a sector to having, having uh, made all those advances already. You, you touched on intelligent machines and um, you know, communication machine to machine. What about autonomous vehicles? Is, is that... Do you see that as a dot in the in the far distance, or is it like, is it like um, electric um, electric vehicles in that it'll be a kind of a, a tipping point? I guess the technology has still a little bit further to to go in that direction. Yeah, I mean, it, it, in some ways, it's an older technology because autonomous um, machines have been used in practice in the mining industry for for quite a while, or yeah. albeit and and you know sort of first generation ones. Um, so there is the, the technology and things that have been built through. And you can see that there's a lot of investment going in autonomous machines. Um, and some of it too, I think, is, is down to looking at labour-saving um, devices on site. Um, because if you look at the and UK, for example, um, where we uh, are going to be facing labour shortages in different areas, particularly in construction, we've had a lot of guest workers over the years from Europe a lot of those have, have gone home. And if we have a very lively market, I think that we're probably at a point where things like uh, robotics and autonomous machines suddenly start to become more attractive in terms of delivering the sort of results um, that are needed on site, where the, where the expertise or the numbers of, of people working on construction sites are going to decrease. Um, so, uh, I think autonomous machines are not going to be the solution to everything because um, there's always going to be, um, there's going to be bigger projects where it's going to be possible to do that, to have more autonomous machines on site. Um, and then, but smaller projects in terms of their financial size and their, um, and the numbers of employed and what needs to be done and the short term nature of them, um, that there probably will be a longer uh, takeoff period. Um, but um, what I think probably the great um, opportunity we've got, uh, and because we've been working with the people at HS2 for, for quite a while, um, and, uh, and when you think about it, that's potentially a 20-year project that they've embarked on there. And it's the biggest construction project in the whole of Europe, you know, and there's varying estimates of what the total cost will be, and I'm sure um, that's going to be a, a movable uh, uh, target over the years as we, as we go for forward. Our listeners, but, Rob, could you, yeah. could you explain what HS2 is? It's, it's a rail oh, line yeah, yeah. to connect the south of England to, is it, will it go as far as Scotland or does it go to Leeds, Manchester? No, no I mean, there, there, are, there are two parts of it. So, um, so the, the first part is the linkage between London and, and Birmingham. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then in, in terms of stage two, uh, it moves further north. Um, but, but it's going to do two things. One is it's going to be long term and, so there can be an element of long-term planning in, in terms of sourcing equipment, specifying equipment, mm -hmm. um, but also 
in itself, it's generating additional investment. I don't know whether any of your listeners have, have been at the centre of Birmingham um, lately, but there's a lot of uh, HST-related construction there. But also it means that, that um, the developments happen around uh, uh, rail hubs, and that's what's happening, happening at the moment. Um, and there'll be further investment in some of the feeder lines uh, going into into the HS2 thing. So it's it's a it's a big deal. Um, yeah. Probably in excess of 100 billion pounds worth of investment that's going through. Is it is it money well spent? Do you think is that something you'd be prepared to talk about on the record? Well, um, certainly from the construction equipment point of view, it's money yeah. well spent. Um, yeah. And I think if we are looking at taking traffic off the roads, taking freight off the roads. And I think the freight element is something that's been overlooked, but um, it gives that uh, opportunity. Um, and I think it, uh, I think it aligns actually with the sustainability agenda. Uh, seems like a lot of money at the moment, um, but I think looking back on it, um, it, it maybe seem to be a very, uh, a very positive investment. Obviously, it's been politically and economically um, uh, debated for yes. uh, for quite a while. But unusually for this country, we've actually got a big project going. Um, unlike the uh, continuing discussions about Heathrow investment mm. and, uh, and other things which have, have never really um, got off the drawing board because of, of maybe political or, or other, con other concerns. So it's, I, think, I think it's a, a project that we can be proud of in this country, really. But one of the other interesting things too, Saul, in, in relation to HS2 is that we've been working on a project with them for probably about three years now, which is our emissions compliance verification scheme. Uh, and that's really taken off with them and their main contractors like Balfour Beatty. And um, it, almost by accident, we came upon this because for some years we've had a, a database of machines, um, which we call the, the CESA program, uh, which was really there to deter plant theft and to help the police in, in their investigations on plant theft. Um, but we've adapted that by adding something called the emissions compliance verification uh, element. Um, now, what that does, uh, it helps site managers to identify the engine emissions of machines used on their site. So it's particularly useful for, for low emission zones and for sites of uh, uh, environmental, um, uh, well, they have environmental uh, regs that they need to, need to meet. Um, and HS2 have been very supportive of this. So, so machines going on the HS2 uh, sites now are now recommended to have this um, facility uh, which HS2 are able to go onto our database portal and make sure that the machines that they're using on site meet their requirements so, and, and I think that's going to spread onto to other sites other projects in the future so that's been quite exciting for us. Rob Oliver there with a British perspective on construction. Join me again soon for another episode of the IVT podcast. In the meantime stay safe and stay in touch with us on Twitter at IVT underscore MAG, online at IVTinternational.com, and of course, via this podcast. That's it from me. Until next time. The IVT podcast is an MA business production. Please like and subscribe. If you are interested in appearing on the podcast, reach us via our website, ivtinternational.com or email ivt at markallengroup.com.